What are the characteristics of a well-run network? Is it solid documentation? Is it using best practice design and configurations? Maybe it's all about workflows. That's the question we're tackling today on Network Collective. We're joined today by Chris Kane and Peter Welcher, a couple of veteran network engineers to help us flesh out this idea of what a well-run network really is. Uh, Chris, why don't we start with you and have you tell us a little bit about yourself and where we can find you online. Absolutely, thanks Phil, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm Chris Kane, uh, I've been in the networking industry for a little over 20 years now, uh, route switch engineer, and have worked in just about every vertical there is from service provider to hosting to financial and retail and uh, most active on Twitter uh, at CCIE 14430. Excellent. Thanks. And Dr. Pete, please tell us a little bit about yourself and where folks can find you online. I'll start with saying ditto. And um, <laughs> I started out a long time ago working with Terry Slattery on part of the Cisco IOS CLI. I'm an early CCIE. I've worked, uh, I do route switch and design, uh, large financials, hospitals, and so on. Um, now an architect with Net Craftsman, uh, probably the smallest Cisco Gold Bar partner, uh, but highly skilled. I'm guilty of committing frequent blogs. I can be found on Twitter at PJ Welcher, my initials Welcher, uh, on the rare occasions when I actually have time to read it, LinkedIn, and um, can be found via our, my blog can be found on our company page, netcraftsman.com. Great. Thanks, Pete. So we want to investigate what a well-run network is, but I think it's important that we pause first to kind of define what well-run actually means. So I'll throw it to you. What do you guys think? I'm going to uh, note that some of our prior conversation, uh, it looked like uh, we ended up brainstorming and coming up with a lot of best practices, but the curveball question is kind of, how would you know if you have a well-run network? What would it look like? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm throwing in even further the question of, is it a good thing? I think so, because I think some of the characteristics that we see as objective symptoms are fewer outages, Mm -hmm. lower mean time to repair, and probably a low number of uh, self-inflicted wounds. And uh, I include in that category surprises when you configure something and it doesn't come out quite the way you intended it to. Okay. Why, why are you wondering whether well-run is a good thing to look at it that way? I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. I'm just being contrary. Um, <laughs> actually, that kind of leads into one of the themes of why are networks not well-run? Hmm. And I think one of the things before we started, we were having a discussion and we've all seen things, networks that we think are well run, networks mm -hmm. that are not so well run. So I think we all have some ideas of what works and what doesn't work, but there are hindrances. And one of the ones that I think I see a lot of is just understaffing. There's endemic understaffing. And then the second thing is because of pay inflation um, or deserving pay, depending on how you look at it. Um, people don't have the skills they need, driven by complexity of vendor products sometimes, or sometimes um, companies are still think they're hiring somebody who knows how to punch down cable. 
Okay. All right. Mean? There's some good bullet points there. So let's, let's dive into design then. What uh, aspects of design, uh, the design of a network, uh, you know, off the cuff, off, off the top of your head, do you think are, are characteristic then of something that you define, you guys personally define as a well-run network? KISS principle. Keep it simple. What, what about the other S? <laughs> Avoid stupidity. Isn't, isn't there another S in KISS? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you can say keep it simple, right? But there's, you know, the reason why we have the knobs that we have is because they're often required. I, let me rephrase that. They are sometimes required, right? They, like the knobs don't exist for no reason at all. Some knobs exist because people just design themselves into a corner. Uh, but but some of the, some complexity is required, right? Like it's not always just be simple. It is be as simple as you can with meeting your requirements. At least that's the way I would define it. Yeah, sometimes it, the requirements require or the, the technical requirements necessitate some level of complexity, right? You're talking about not going overboard for the sake of the cool factor. But that's one place where I would push back. Okay. All too often I see management handed me these requirements. Mm, all right, I see your point. My favorite is, oh, the VMware guys said they need layer two data center extension. Okay, why do they need it? Is it really necessary or is it a nice to have? Um, mm. Every time I push back at that particular one, I get, well, we need our vMotion. Okay, use cases. In the middle of the day, you decide you want to balance the load on the compute load, and you're going to vMotion 100 VMs to the other data center in the middle of the day, affecting production traffic. You well, are during, lunch, during lunch. Impact production traffic. <laughs> uh, did you think about backing store? You're going to do yeah. storage vMotion too? Yeah. I get a, gee, I hadn't thought about that an awful lot. Yeah, I agree with that. There's, there are many times that, I mean, you know, as, as a consultant is position or a job, it's not completely different than what uh, Pete does. You know, walking into an organization, the, the requirements are just, you know, they're not requirements. They're, they're a wish list of management or some application team who says that they think they need this. So, you know, maybe further defining that, like the real technical requirements as I don't know who gets to define that though. <laughs> like what are well, the real sorta... technical requirements? You're sort of, this is good, this is good, but we're sort of going outside what a well-run network looks like to the entire infrastructure, the entire system, right? So we're well, going to kind of keep it simple. Hold we're on. Talking about, I, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a good point, though. I, yeah. I think a well-run network doesn't happen in a silo, mm -hmm. right? A well-run network is going to be a coordinated effort, not that your application teams and your storage teams are participating in the configuration and necessarily the design, but they are mm -hmm. going to have some influence over the way that things run and a, and a well-run application team and a well-run systems team and a well-run storage team and whatever other types of teams you might have are going to make it clearer what you have to design for. And you're going to get cooperation knowing, you know, what it is that, that you have to meet from a, from a goal perspective, which means you're more likely to deliver something that's functional and simple if you can. Mm -hmm. I feel the need to channel Russ White indirectly. Oh. Oh, I, I think as he's with us in spirit always. I was say, <laughs> you, make, you move the difficulty from storage to network to server, and you're just sometimes transferring it. I see things that come up under the guise of security segmentation, hmm. which aren't really a security problem, but people are trying to use the firewall hammer on the problem. Right. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe a good definition of a characteristic of a well-run network is that the right problems are being solved in the right places. I like that. No. Okay. Okay. So how do you guys recognize complexity? 
uh, how about how about let me qualify that? How would you recognize uh, undue or unnecessary complexity? Size of the company is one thing I try to factor into it. Okay. If if it's a small company with three network technicians who are scrambling for their life, um, they probably don't have time to be deep at anything. And um, not throwing stones here, it's just mm -hmm. the reality. Yeah, understood. They need something that's fairly simple and works. And so doing, uh, say, OTV with first hop localization plus list is probably a non-starter unless, I'm, unless uh, as a greedy consultant, I can sell them on lifetime employment or joking. <laughs> and I, <laughs> no I just joke. don't think There's that's no quite there. appropriate yeah. uh, for this, most situations. Um, for bigger companies, um, you look at some of the things that I chalk up as complex and could be the OTV list scenario, could be... Um, Oh, I'll pick on Cisco's coming SD access. That looks complex and to me, but very useful don't, for big companies. Don't let Cisco hear you say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, simpler, right? Like, but I understand what you're saying. There's, there's, you know, inherent complexity under the covers, right? Like, well, all, the, I, all those things measure, that are running. Yeah. One measure is how many components have to work well together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, I, well, there's, there's a point there, right? Modularization is a good thing right? Separation of duties and, and splitting out things. I mean, that what I would say is sometimes a characteristic of a good network. But sometimes when you have 20 components that are a tightly coupled coordinated system, the failure rate is going to be higher from things like misconfiguration and, and things like that. So, you know, there's a balance there in, you know, how much do you split things out versus, you know, uh, keeping it simple by keeping things all contained. You're mm -hmm. making me think of a historical example. Perfect. Uh, SIP connections to mainframes, gold images. People discovered that the uh, router at the time, what was it, a 7000 model? Um, whichever router model it was, it was almost impossible to find one set of iOS code in which the mainframe connection worked along with everything else. So the answer was split it up, use two. One which is very stable, you lock down the code mm -hmm. and you just keep it talking happily to the mainframe and the other one which did routing and core of the network and whatever the heck else it was doing at the time. Interesting. So do you I guys think too, that... When you, go, go ahead, Chris, you I'm go first. Sorry, well, I was just going to say, when you're measuring that, I was wondering if, uh, you know, you, Pete, you talked about maybe small staff or thin staff, but if you were fortunate enough to have junior personnel, could you measure... Um, the, the complexity of the network or the supportability of the network by their ability to troubleshoot or perhaps measure, you know, mean time to repair. How long did it take us to diagnose a problem? How long did it take to actually implement a repair? If it's an overly complex network, maybe an indication that, hey, when we're fighting a fire, we've created something that's very, very difficult to actually you know, isolate a problem when it's really the network because we know the network always gets blamed first and is guilty mm -hmm. until proven innocent. But, you know, if the junior personnel can solve issues prior to escalation or without requirement of escalation to senior staff. So you're um, reminding me of somebody's definition of simplicity, which was, I think it's Russ White, it's the 2 a.m. rule. No. If you, you got to you know, tell us, yeah. <laughs> do you, did you want to uh, tell us what the rule is or? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, his rule is that, you know, you have to be able to support whatever it is that you built 
when someone calls you at 2 a.m., wakes you up in the middle of the night, and you have to talk to someone who's a non-native English speaker. Right? Good rule. Good <laughs> like, rule. like that's the rule. And so if you can communicate the intent of the design and and work through troubleshooting uh, with those constraints, then you probably have something that is reasonably complex, something you can manage. Okay. So the uh, complexity of the network, part of that context is the uh, apparent skill set of the engineers that are on hand. That's part of that equation. Huh? It also ties into the product, though, and okay. to avoid picking on Cisco, which I'm most familiar with, but I, uh, SD-WAN. There are about 40 bazillion vendors out there with different products, some of which I think are localized application forwarding decisions, some of which are routing under the hood. You have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Can you troubleshoot it on your site, or do you have to spend hours on the phone with their tech engineer? Well, I mean, that's an interesting point, right? There's more and more systems that are coming that are more black box, mm -hmm. uh, right? And so is that is is black box integration into your network a sign of a good network or a bad network? I think you could argue it both ways. I mean, yeah, they're it, selling simplicity is what they're doing, among I, other things. Well, attempting to, right? They're trying to, attempting. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what SD-WAN is, right? None of, none of the technology is new. Um, it's coordinated, which we, it's been hard to do previously. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the things they're doing for you because getting a controller involved has been historically difficult. Yep. And then, you know, automating some of these things like, you know, tunnel creation and, you know, policy-based routing and things that we've, we've always been able to do, but to be able to do it on a broader scale has been difficult to deploy and only you know, the best well-designed networks could actually do it manually. But are they supplying rope is my next question on that. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, potentially. I mean, the, the question is how much do you trust the black box? And, that, well, and that, more, that's a continual it, question. I mean, like that's a whole other show probably. But the, the it, you know. It, I have more than that in mind, though, because what some of the vendors seem to be describing is, oh, yeah, you can click and per application create or per VRF, in effect, per segment, create point-to-point -point tunnels and keep stringing them on and you end up with this spaghetti pile of ad hoc tunnels and no rhyme or reason. Is that really simpler? Or if you have 500 ad hoc tunnels for different applications to troubleshoot, gee, I didn't think the traffic went that way. Why is it going that way? Mm -hmm. We're back in the soup and it's worse than routing because it's an application with something under the hood doing God knows what. Right. That I think we have little visibility into sometimes. <laughs> right. I think, uh, I think, well, then go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, then does that tie into to also, as you're looking at solutions and selecting vendors, um, you know, going through lab tests, going through proof of concepts and trying to simulate those types of scenarios, both with senior personnel <laughs> and junior personnel. Um, can I troubleshoot this? Can I mm -hmm. tear this apart? How fast can I build it? Right. Cause time to market is obviously something very important. We're all yeah. fighting uh, as we fight against cloud or hybrid cloud uh, or extend right um, on-premises services with, with whatever else is happening in cloud or multi-cloud solution. Uh, but maybe working with your OEMs is to figure out it's really cool if I could build this, but then how do I troubleshoot it? How mm -hmm. do I isolate it? How do I prove that the network is not the problem? Uh, to your point, without having to get someone on the phone that knows 333 hidden commands yeah. that I'm only exposed to because I happen to get a, a screen capture while I'm on the phone with the, with the tax right. support personnel. I very okay. much like that thought. I'm thinking of uh, the one constant I've seen with network management products is 
everybody has good intentions about doing a proof of concept and then they don't have the time during the 30 to 60 day period. And so they don't beat on the product. They do a drive by. Yeah, it looks okay. Mm -hmm. Kind of works like the demo. And then once they paid for it, Oh, this is a piece of crap. Hmm. I've seen that so many times. <laughs> so you guys are, you guys are transitioning into day two operations. It sounds mm -hmm. like already. Um, so, you know, we talked about complexity as being, well, let's say that the lack of complexity or undue complexity is a, is a sign is a marker of a well-run network. What about operations? The, the Karen feeding, what would you say are characteristics uh, from that in that regard? I've, I've got, a, I've got a real clear definition for me and it's probably not a holistic definition Go for it. Um, but it's predictability. You should be able to tell me, without touching a keyboard or a CLI or a device anywhere in the network, how your traffic should be flowing. You should be able to tell me if this yep. gets, if this piece gets lost here, what is your network going to do? If you can't explain what your network's supposed to be doing, what, what, you know, your initial intent is, and then what the actual delivery of that is, um, you don't know your well, network well enough to be able to say that it's well run. Yeah. Like it, it's really understanding and knowing what's going to do. And for that, I mean, there's all kinds of things that come in that predictability. If you have a large network to be predictable, it has to be consistent. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have, you know, a hundred special snowflakes. It's got to be, it's got to be pretty consistent across the board in the way that you connect things and that, you know, oh, hey, this is this type of model for what we're deploying. It's this type of connectivity. And I know when it's like that, this is what it does because that's how we've designed the network. I think modularity plays into that as well, because yep. if you have clear traffic patterns, I've seen the antithesis of that. Um, that's my big word for the day. Oh. Uh, with a site that had dual home servers, they had a supposedly highly protected production environment and a more random environment um, back in the um, days when they were using unreliable switches made by HP. Um, and uh, I'm sure HP switches today are perfectly reliable. <laughs> I was looking for that. Thank you. <laughs> not, not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. I'm not saying how, yeah. far, how long ago it was. It was yeah. quite a while ago. Um, and uh, what turned out frugality over time led to a lot of servers being buried on the less stringent part of the network. They went to do PCI and discovered that, oh, we have host tables on every server. Ooh. And on top of that, we have host-specific routing, yeah. uh, one of the two interfaces. And it took them months to sort through all mm -hmm. the asymmetric paths for the PCI compliance uh, with a multi-million dollar um, penalty hanging over their heads. That was not simple. Uh, conclusion I drew was, I want one way for my traffic to go. More recent instance, somebody's got a complicated edge module. They wanted to bring in layer two to get from the firewall to DMZ servers within the main data center and have layer three maybe go on a different link. Not a good idea, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, modularity, this speaks back to complexity. Um, predictability, I like predictability. Yeah, predictability. Um, you know, I think the other thing is, is that uh, speaking to that predictability and another characteristic there is, is the ability to predict the impact of your changes. Right? So being able to, to look in there and say, okay, I need to do this maintenance or this, this thing. And, you know, I mean, I've seen it, the, the gambit when it comes to this, like people who will just put a piece of, of configuration in and have absolutely no idea what it does. They just are copying something from the web and they, you know, this is supposed to fix my problem to, to really fully understanding like, Hey, I understand which 
things I'm switching with this piece of configuration and I understand mm -hmm. how that affects the box and the traffic and, you know, a well-run uh, network or a good network engineers is before they ever put anything on a box, they're going to understand what all those switches do so that they're not randomly, you know, making decisions. I mean, I well, you're, that's one. you're talking about a couple of things that I think Chris put into the notes, yep. one being testing and the other one being having a, uh, a testing lab. No. Uh, what was the other thing that he put in there? Well, well the I, testing, I, testing was I, one thing. <laughs> And documentation. <laughs> that was the other thing. Documentation. Yeah. yeah, th yeah. Those, those, are, those are absolutely, you know, critical parts. I'm even just talking about knowing, knowing what it is that you're doing. Okay. Right? So, so are, are, your are your engineers, are the, are the people on the team actually paying attention to the degree that when they make a change, they know exactly what's going to happen? And you can't predict absolutely everything, especially mm -hmm. in a highly complex environment. But you should have a pretty good idea before you ever flip the switch. I'll jump on that one because I've been running into, not to cop an ego, just people that are well above their skill level. Their management can't tell skills. Mean? So they really don't know what they're doing. They're dangerous. Oh, okay. All right. um, <laughs> I won't name the competing consulting firm, but I was recently doing an no, assessment do where they were telling me that the uh, layer two Metro Ethernet link was no good. It didn't pass multicast. They were trying to bring up EIGRP and OSPF they actually tried putting in an OSPF neighbor statement and all sorts of other interesting things that remained in the config. But basically, in both cases, they didn't have a network statement saying transmit updates on the interface in question. Sure, right. right. Basic, basic stuff. That is, yeah. And, you know, show IP, fill in the blank interface probably would have solved it. So, um, okay, somebody's sending out some pretty underskilled people. Um, I th there's been a lot of that lately where people do interesting things with VLANs. Um, in the last several months, I've run into two sites where they had a lot of BPDU filter mm -hmm. configured. Oh, <laughs> that's for, that's for people who want to invite spanning tree loops. Yeah. yeah that's basically yeah. what it is. Yes. Please yeah. loop. That's what I want you to do. So, so, so it sounds like we're the lab. Well, I think the lab stuff really helps, right? Yep. Because if, if you can if you can mock up the environment, if not the whole environment, certainly a subset of the environment. To to Jordan, to your point, you know, hey, if if I make a change here, if I wiggle something here, what do I expect to come out at the other end? And if it's a if if I've if I've mocked up the network well enough, then I should be able to predict what's going to happen, right? In in that lab environment, uh, as well as in subsequently what's going to happen in the in the production environment. And, be, and, and labs used to be tough because you had to buy hardware and there was, you know, it was cost prohibitive to try mm -hmm. to mock up an entire data center or multiple data centers or data centers and WANs. But now that we're such a software driven, you know, environment, uh, yeah. I, to me, as I look at an OEM, I fully expect an OEM ought to provide me uh, a VM of their software. Right. And, and take it even a step further now, even all the way up to the container level right where it should be pretty in you know, inexpensive for me be, to be able to mock up the network infrastructure so i can rehearse changes i can see you know i can test my junior folks uh earlier we were talking somebody was going through some interviews lately right um hey i should be able to even interview candidates to make sure they're not over skilled or inflated resumes by saying well here's a mock-up of my infrastructure here's a change i need to make 
um, show me how you would make that change in the most successful way possible, the most, you know, the, the least disruptive way possible. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, labs, to me, there's just no excuse not to have a sufficient lab anymore. It's just too easy from a VM or, or, or container standpoint to be able to implement that. Yeah, there, there's we a caveat do. there. Layer two, is that the caveat? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean that's, that, that's my thing is, is the frustration in labs. So yes, from a layer three perspective and traffic flow and routing protocols, 100%, 110% agree with everything Chris just said. My problem is, is that most of the complex changes we're making are when we're changing something with like, and I'm going to go back to Cisco specifically, but like VPC. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I have a VDC on a Nexus switch and it has this interaction with this other thing. And I can't, I still can't. It's 2017 and I can't emulate those things. Like, like I see a problem in this. Like we should be, I, I understand we're not going to get performance out of software. Yep, but, but that's should, not the goal. We should be able to emulate it though, right, so that yeah. we can have a predictable change environment and we still can't. It's still, well, it's still a problem. Some of, some of your problems going to go away because I think VDCs are uh, f- fading out. Oh, I, I agree. I was just using them as an example of, yeah. of a hardware specific yeah. switch based feature, which, which are the category of features that we tend to not be able to, to, to emulate very well. But, so I wanted to but, slip but in that's two a very words good point, here. Though. Go ahead, Pete. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, I wanted to slip in two words. One was I really like the lab idea, uh, complete lab. Uh, but the two words are humility and time. So I see this as an exercise in humility. It's nice to have a lot of knowledge, but we're all human. We all mm-hmm. have gaps. We've all sometimes misunderstand things or don't think about things. And a little humility and doing it in the lab for, okay, what am I missing? It's a real cool thing. Uh, time comes in because I run into a lot of shops where people say, yeah, we've got this lab, but we've got to overhaul it or it's the uh, repository of uh, spare broken parts. Um, what the uh, Navy calls a hangar queen. You take the parts out of a plane and you create this totally trash plane that's full of uh, broken parts. Um, but it's also just people are so busy that having the time to get in the lab, their management, it's just tough to do, justify or they're just plain running flat out yeah. and they can't do it. But that would be a symptom of a, of a non-well-running network. So mm-hmm. in it, the spirit of this particular point, um, uh, labbing up your, your changes prior to making them, as a, as a method of, you know, mitigating any risk, that's a, that's a characteristic of a well-run network. Having that as part, now that's definitely not a characteristic of the infrastructure. That's a characteristic of the workflow of the process of the culture or the, the corporate culture. Right. But I think the spirit is still there. Despite the fact that we can't do all those changes in VMs yet, we can't do them all in viral or GNS three, but to mm-hmm. the extent that we can, I think that's probably where Chris is coming from. And I hundred percent agree. I did a WAN project or I rather I prepped for a WAN project a couple months ago and that's coming up this fall. And oh yeah, that that got built out in uh, well first viral, and then I got fed up, and then it's in, now it's in GNS three. But you get the idea, you know. That's all 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 configured out, and I've got it's going to be a little different. But uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that this is going to work before I start wiggling wires in production. This is sort of yeah, a absolutely. pay me now, pay me later yeah. thing. Sorry, <laughs> right. uh, because either right. you put in right. the time up front to document or to lab it or it breaks and you spend your time chasing your tail trying to figure out what went wrong. Sorry, Chris, I cut you off. No, you're okay. I, it, well, and that's where I think is an industry where we're falling down, where we need to demand this of the OEMs. So, you know, if we look at what at and and Google did, and I'm not sure who else was involved, but like open config and the concept of streaming telemetry, 
right, where we talked about, hey, we're trying to measure the network, but SNMP polling, SNMP is a 1980s technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're talking about 100 gig interfaces. We've just ratified 400 gig. You know, oh, look at all these speeds that are coming by. The polling intervals are totally insufficient to actually understand what's going on with the network. So when the big boys can get together and start dictating, right, to the OEMs, this is what you need to provide me, then I think, you know, you, we'll, we'll begin to see those types of uh, features and functionalities come out of them. Say, hey, I, I need to be able to mock this up as a VM or as a container. Uh, I need to be able to have real-time data. No, no more pulling and assuming that what happened at time one and time two is a straight line in between. Mm, true. So, you know, the, the idea that we have streaming telemetry, real-time telemetry, without a big add-on. I don't want a big uplift. I don't have to buy, you know, 30 or 40 servers or install special software or, or hosts all over the network. It should be part of the the operating system in and of itself because I'm already buying the operating system. For you. If you're selling me something that you claim is stable, uh, then I should be able to see that. I should be able to measure that. And that, that's just where I think maybe if we could push back collectively as a unit, whether it's through these consortiums or, or these, uh, these frenemies, they, they, they get together and say, hey, you know, whether we're in competing in a marketplace or not, we all are after the same results. We all need that, that measurable data. Okay. So we've been talking about uh, uh, measurable data, looking at the before and after of changes. We've been looking at labbing up our changes, uh, our proposed changes. So why don't we look at change management specifically? Something that some people might not like because it's kind of an ITIL-like term, but uh, nevertheless, you know, we manage our changes to mitigate risk. So what do you guys think about that with regard to uh, it being a characteristic of a well-run network? Very definitely uh, important. Um, and uh, done well, uh, I've seen various degrees. You can go off the deep end in terms of prep, but sometimes it pays for itself mm-hmm. because you're not fumbling around. I think the most extreme case I've seen is in a uh, very large organization. They do tabs in a spreadsheet. Yep. They put absolutely everything in there. First page is contact info, so you can call people. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody related. They actually have 24 BUs that have to sign off on any change. Um, oh, that just sounds, I mean, yeah, that, that pre- does sound a lot. <laughs> it takes, it, yeah, it takes a month or more to get it set up. Uh, pre-change configs, uh, configlets you're going to blow in, reversal backout configlets. Um, they open all the SSH sessions in PuTTY or Secure CRT prior to the start of the change window. So that they are max, and the whole point is that change windows are never long enough. So you want to maximize what you actually get done productively during that time period. So I thought that was a great example. What I've seen at a different company, well, actually, this other one started doing it, too, after I brought it up, but um, two uh, WebExes or conference calls or whatever, one for executives and one for techs, because otherwise the techs are getting distracted by (laughs) new exec jumps on the phone and their ego says they have to ask what the current status is immediately. So you have a liaison instead who's on both calls and every 30 minutes or hour, they update the execs um, and stop wasting everybody's time. There's yeah. a lot of, a lot of people nodding in agreement with you right now, yeah. either because yeah. of the fact that they've lived on the one large conference call with all the execs on it that, you know, and I, I appreciate their position because they need to know and they're getting, they're getting pushed back as well to provide, you know, feedback up the chain. Um, but you know, when you ask every five minutes, there's not enough time to actually do something, test it and know, <laughs> what actually happened. But yeah. then uh, you're also going to get a lot of nods because of the people that have, you know, formed those on the side. 
I think, I think that like, you know, I know I have, maybe I'm just by myself, but I doubt it. Right. You have the big conference call with everybody else. And then like, you're one of three people that actually need to be working the, the, the issue right. out of the 30 people that are on. It's like, Hey, why don't we just start an IM chat over here or another yeah. call yeah. where we can go do what we need to do. But you're absolutely yeah. right. Functionally, that's a good model. I would agree with everything you said about change management, except for the approval process. That's way so, yeah. too many people involved in the approval process. And I think that that should scale, right? The idea is if this is a change that we understand, we don't expect any outage, the approval process should be reasonable so that you can, yep. that you can get work done. If this is going to be, you know, a potentially impacting change where we're going to affect your traffic flows for a server team or a storage team, yes, of course, they need to be involved and looking at that change and making sure they understand the implications. Mm -hmm. If it's a potentially like outage type change, then yeah, it's probably going to go up the executive scale and there's going to be other people that need to approve it and have their eyes on it, you know, a, a knock or a help desk or, or whatever. Like it, it scales with the impact. But I mean, I've seen so many change management, change management process that just handcuff people. Yeah. Yep. And if you don't get your changes, then things, then you have a pile of changes, which is a risk all in itself because Monday morning comes around or whenever it comes around and which of those 20 changes <laughs> broke, broke things. Um, right. Apropos of the two phone calls, my favorite was uh, hearing an ex-Army woman uh, on the phone. Um, you can tell how ticked off an Army person is by the number of times they say, sir. <laughs> so this was kind of, <laughs> Mr. VP, sir, um, I have a choice for you, sir. Uh, I can either stay on the phone talking to you and explaining this in fine detail, sir, or I can go get the problem solved, sir. Which would you prefer I do, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Very respectful, though. So yeah, well, he couldn't see the smoke coming out of her ears. Yeah, the undertone. Yeah, of, of but the spirit of the spirit of what he was trying to say, though, ultimately is not necessarily that. Okay, yeah, of course, change management is a process unto itself with its own foibles and issues that needs to be worked through. But ultimately, the idea is that there's some and I hate to say it like this, but there's some uh, there's some semblance of bureaucracy and red tape on purpose to mitigate the risk, but it's not nonsensical. Hopefully if it's done well, you're talking about things like peer review. Okay. That takes time. Uh, you're talking about config review. Somebody's looking at configs, not just your plan. Somebody's checking on your, your rollback plan. So these all things, these are all things that take time and feel red tape ish, but ultimately serve to mitigate risk, keep that. So, you know, earlier we talked about the network just being reliable and predictable. Well, you know, when we make changes and things break, we're introducing unreliability. So in spite of change management being a pain in the neck sometimes, and, and I get how it can be so overwhelming that it, it, it's, a, it's a negative on a, on, a, on a culture, if anything else, uh, it, it is necessary uh, in order to have that well-run network, that smooth sailing ship. Oh, that was a good analogy. I'm going to keep using that mm -hmm. one. So uh, whether we're using the lab network to, to do that and, you know, whether we have 26 BUs or you're just running it over to your team lead, you know, whatever the, whatever the context is, so. Yeah, well, you do need re some review because people may not think of things. On the other hand, yeah. if the storage guy um, is asked about a IP routing change and mm. doesn't know whether he has any IP-based storage that is using that link, is there a real point to getting his opinion? Right. You would have to give it to that person within context. You have to help them. Yeah. Make, yeah. make some decisions. Absolutely. Well, I saw also so see that as a skills issue. If you're doing storage and you are doing IP, you know, NFS or iSCSI based storage, you ought to know it. Well, yeah, but you may but not know what your links their, look like. Even if it's out of the realm though, how about, could we say, Hey, maybe I don't need those 20 or 30 people to approve it, but could I have at least a handful of them there for user acceptance testing? 
Mm-hmm. Could I mm-hmm. could I ensure that they've committed time to test before a change, as well as after a change? And then and the, the the before is constantly overlooked. It, it it's a mess. How many times have any of us done changes, and someone comes in to do a post change, you know, user acceptance test, and say something doesn't work, but yet and we find out that well that thing actually hasn't worked in like six months because got installed <laughs> quite some yeah. time ago, mm-hmm. right? So. So, you know, prior change uh, <laughs> testing, I think it's just as important as post-change testing from user acceptance standpoint. So so even if I can't expect them to understand what the acronym OSPF is or, you know, what I'm doing as I play with it, I certainly would like them to at least commit the time to, to test to make sure the functionality that they're expecting is there after I, after I get done with what I'm doing. So we've touched on a couple things just in this particular point. Uh, earlier, we talked about uh, Jordan mentioned having uh, engineers being aware of their network to the extent where they know where things go. It's predictable. Um, in the notes, I don't know who wrote it, but somebody wrote something about network awareness. Sounds good. I'm going to say I wrote it just to go with it. Oh, fantastic. But, Phil, yeah. you're so smart. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I tip my hat to myself. But uh, so, you know, you, you want to have this network awareness and awareness of what's going on. And we talked about that. So to me, that speaks of a couple things. Uh, and we didn't, we, we talked about documentation a little bit, you know, because Peter, you went into that when you talked about the change management. Um, and then a culture of collaboration, which we're starting to talk about now a little bit. So why don't we speak to that as far as documentation and collaboration? I know there sort of unrelated, but I want to, I want to fit them in, make sure we fit them in, in the show today. Oh, I think they're related. I've been doing a lot of assessments lately. Okay, great. And part of what I do is write a overview document describing what I think I heard to make sure I heard it accurately. The other purpose of it, however, is it's a living document that the customer can use describing their network for new hires or consultants. And if our company happens to do some remediation or other consulting, it's something I can hand to the other guy and not have to spend a couple of hours on the phone explaining things to him. And part of the purpose would be just to identify what routing is running where, Mm -hmm. where the places we're doing redistribution, no details, just you got to know where it's happening before you can drill down on the details. And in particular, why anything that is kind of squirrely or needs explanation, why it was done that way. So you don't go fixing something that isn't broken. Right. Um, And I think that's a very valuable means of communication. I don't see it a lot. And I suspect two reasons. One is time. And the other one is engineers hate writing. Yeah. And the Um, fact that networks change enough where the minute that your uh, network diagram comes out of the plotter, it's out of date. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the documentation that we write feels like an uphill battle. At least it does for me. Yeah, Um, but the DevOps perspective of uh, what we built as the documentation isn't good either. Yeah. I, I don't know that I agree with that. So which, I mean, which one? Which part? Uh, your, your part about the fact that the network changes so often that documentation becomes out of date at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, reason, I mean, I was using hyperbole though. I, I, on, I understand <laughs> that. But, but speaking to that point, right? If we, if we have the characteristics we've talked about, modularity, if not, if everything in our environment isn't a special snowflake, if we've actually taken time to design and then repeat that design in places so everything is predictable, okay. I'm using all these same yep. words, yep. right? It shouldn't change, right? When we make a change, a change is a holistic change. I only have to change it in one place, right? If, if, if my documentation is 100 unique special implementations of technology, then yes, keeping up with technology is, or keeping up with documentation is incredibly difficult. If I have a well thought out, modular, well-implemented network, documentation isn't as hard as everyone makes it out. No, I, I, I hear your point. That makes sense. Right. That makes sense. Right. And so, so like I, I document my remote site, like this is one of my remote site types. I might have three, depending on the types of connectivity. Bingo. 
right? And these are my three models. And when we deploy a new site, guess what we do? We go back to our model and we say, hey, here's all of our config. <laughs> this is what we do. I already have the document. I can take the one I did from the last one I deployed and just update IP addresses and then we're good, right? I tell people diagramming is easy. If you have a distribution access campus, you know that every access switch is dual home to the two distribution switches, right? Something like that. Don't even diagram it. Put it in an Excel spreadsheet because all you care about is which port connects where. Yeah, I don't do diagrams anymore either. I agree with that much because it's just too much time and, you know, it doesn't serve that much of a purpose. I agree. Well, but, it does uh, if it's complicated though. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I, I, I like, yes, I like to see port maps and where things are on patch panels and switch ports. And, you know, I'll, I'll get dumps of, of interface descriptions and things like that. Hopefully they're filled in. Uh, but ultimately I, I got to say, um, having been in the consultant world and now in the enterprise world where I have to build some of this stuff, if, if a customer has documentation, like a, a crayon on a napkin, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. You know, I'm like, okay, I got something to go on. They're already um, well on the way to being a yeah. network. If they can I think that's the something that you can work with. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, that's really it, right? Like, I mean, as a consultant, my immediate gauge when I walk into some places, how much time does it take them to get me up to speed so I can help them? Right. If it's well run modular <laughs> and, and, and simple, that should yeah. be a 20 minute conversation and I can run. Yeah. If, if it's super complex with all kinds of, you know, you know, look at this fancy, you know, knob I turned here that did this thing, but I didn't do it consistently across my environment. It takes forever to understand the environment. And so it's that, it's that how, how quickly can you explain it to me? So maybe another characteristic is, you know, <laughs> the ratio of how well you, your network is run is by how few words it takes you to explain what it does. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's the danger of, of tribal knowledge there where you have that one person that knows, like I got these sneaky static routes over here and those three switches up in the, in the ceiling that I don't tell anybody about. And then they're not there or, you know, they forget it's just relying on a person. So uh, absolutely. I agree with you. That's another good measure, by the way, I think What's that, matters to management a lot of if the key person gets hit by a truck. I thought it was a bus. Yeah. It's win the lotto. No, it's no, much no, 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 no. You're supposed to say if he win, if he or she wins the lottery. There you go. So oh, is that the new way? Positive yeah. About this. Yeah, yeah, positive. You, you don't want people dying. You want them fair, leaving because fair. they just got no, loads of money. No. Okay, so this person won the lottery. I have a great story to tell you after we're done recording about this, <laughs> about people <laughs> winning the lottery in an IT department. But uh, so, so, so-and-so wins the lottery, then what? Well, then what, Pete? Uh, then you get the middle finger salute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. so you want to at least know about the squirrely stuff and the stuff that people can't figure out. I, I think something you said earlier was, for infrastructure, you can do, you sort of implied for infrastructure, after all, you can do show CDP. Mm -hmm. Crawl the network. The problem with that Discover is you have odd, odd uh, daisy chains and stuff like the single homed rather than dual homed because there was a shortage of fiber. If somebody doesn't put the energy in to clean that stuff up, then CDP isn't quite as helpful because you have to find those special snowflakes. Yep. CDP works across tunnels. Kidding. Firewalls. <laughs> no, CDP is great. No, listen, I've crawled large, large it's networks a with, yeah. a, with hundreds and hundreds of switches. And yeah, then you, and you come across those, those boundaries and it's a big pain in the neck. So discovering a network because there's no documentation, utterly painful, utterly painful. And would it necessary. be nice if firewalls did CDP or LLDP? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Oh, but security. Security. By obscurity. <laughs> yeah. So I, we missed a couple of like key points in here. I'm looking at the show notes under change management. What do you, what do you got, Jordan? I, I, well, I mean, the first one is wear a black 
concert t-shirt during all maintenance windows. I mean, is that, is that yeah. really important? Chris, can you explain that one? <laughs> Heck yeah, man. That's, that's, that's experience right there. That's uh, <laughs> that just, you know, called superstition, but uh, one of the shops I used to work in, that's what we would do. You know, you're, you're coming in, it's 3am, you have a group of people that are hanging out together and, uh, just as a group, we decided we'd always wear a black concert t-shirt while we were doing our maintenance windows. So at some point, two or three of us had done that and we had a very successful maintenance window. It was one of those ones where the, the implementation plan was 20 or 30 pages long, which is a massive, that is a, you know, that well-organized is a maintenance window. And, and, it, and it went off without a hitch, without dropping a single packet. Nobody knew we were there. We were thieves in the night. And, uh, and so, you know, moving forward, it was, it was just, uh, it just became a standing order that if you were going to do maintenance, uh, you had to have a black concert t-shirt on. What, what bands? Which led to the, which, well, it, 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 the bands are relevant. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you, oh, you, it's you, very you, relevant. Oh, wait, 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 you can't say you that. Could, no, no, no. You <laughs> could be, well, I definitely have an opinion about the music, um, but at least if, if I can get in a black concert t-shirt hey if it's if it's big hair band 80 stuff versus 90 grunge stuff now for me if someone showed up in a Hanson shirt a change, or something that'd be okay <laughs> if it's black i'll let it go but for for me i i always like to i you know i like to think i think phil you may have mentioned it earlier the network's an ecosystem right yep. there, there is care and there is speeding and i i, I like to say that in the network each network has a personality to it uh, and so for me, if, if I'm the one doing the change and I need to be jamming out to some music, it's grunge music for me, because awesome. uh, to me, that, that that's the period of time that, you know, I, I obviously IP was around for quite some time before then, but to me, that was, that was a money-making era. That was when a lot of us really grew up on IP and I think the network enjoys it. I think the network is soothed by it. So, so I'm rocking out to some grunge music. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that, very note. good, gentlemen. This right. has been an excellent show so far, uh, and uh, I'm going to have to end it there. Uh, so it sounds like uh, you know the characteristics of a well-run network uh, have a lot to do with process and uh, and people, not just gear. So eliminate some of that complexity where you can. Get a diagram going, even if it's crayon on a napkin. Uh, get to know your coworkers and uh, start cranking some Nirvana, right? So anyway, thanks, Pete. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Jordan, I'd like to just uh, give you an opportunity to let folks know where they can find you online. Sure. Uh, I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter. Uh, I blog occasionally at jordanmartin.net. Great. I'm Phil Gervasi. You can find me at uh, network underscore Phil on Twitter and networkphil.com. And until next time, thanks. See you later.